would you rather have a senior engineer on board that's going to take six months to get up to speed and then you're going to have all the knowledge and skills of an engineer with eight years plus experience or would you rather take on somebody who has no experience whatsoever and wait eight years for them to get up to speed the ceo i have today um, has an interesting background uh, she served uh, in the military and uh, you know she's a mom so in, or she probably knows she's got friends who are moms uh, so they know how life is after you know a taking career break uh, to raise a to raise children or just a career break in general so these are the things we're going to be talking about today um but um momatech which is the company she runs uh, has a really fascinating product which i also hope to cover a little bit uh, uh in today's episode because it's some really interesting technology that you guys have there and um yeah so without really you know delaying any further uh welcome to the medtech sam thanks for having me rodney good to be here uh, yeah you're welcome and um yeah just to kick it off then uh with um momatic um because i think uh this since we're going to be touching briefly on that today i would rather go through that first uh i mean sure. like starting uh, a company i understand you guys have been um running for about three just over three years now uh what's That's what's right. the path or the career or the career um path been leading up to that for you um well as you as you uh introduced at the start there i started my career as a propulsion engineer in the royal air force and um whilst i was serving i um took a degree and studied um integrated engineering mechanical electrical and manufacturing at nottingham trent university which then when i left um the service uh, i moved into an engineering company widely known siemens where i worked on their um industrial gas turbines so i started my life uh, very much on the tools then i went to university got a degree whilst i was serving and then i moved into a typical product development engineer's role and from that um you know i became inquisitive of all technologies and specifically um around ceramic heart valve prosthesis which was part of my um thesis at university so i became introduced to medical technologies then and just was fascinated by the breadth of the industry the different scope of the products and so um kind of when i had a choice about the industry that i moved into medical technology was the one i wanted to go into because it had such um such enormous potential across every every area of engineering so that's that's why i kind of came to this market just because i love the tech and the people that work within the industry um are very smart but also very altruistic in terms of you know as i think we found with the ventilator challenge you know we come together um as a group of people to try and improve um what patient outcomes that's that's what we're all here to do oh well that's uh that's really uh, motivating i'd say and i think that's um one thing that's kind of satisfactory about uh, 
you know, med tech, it's that, you know, the products you yeah. work on, you actually get to see how they impact people's lives and how that they, they improve and, 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 um, you know, make a difference. So, so that's, that's good. And, um, just leading up from that, um, I mean, like right now, the, the work you guys do right now, um, how, like, how is, how, what's the process been like for it, um, at, uh, more MedTech in, in the last few years, if like growing a company, what was, how do you find that process? Is it, uh, uh challenging or do you have, <laughs> do you have special skills? Uh, um, we've, we've scaled businesses previously. So Jamie, who's my co-director also happens to be my brother and, um, we've successfully, um, scaled another business before this one. So when we um were introduced to the technology of UVC, we quickly um determined that um during covid this was a really cool way of sanitizing air and surfaces without the need for um continual cleaning regime so it's something that that goes on in the background it looks like an oversized led light bulb but actually what it's doing is um, killing the airborne pathogens so that if you're in close proximity to somebody else, you're not going to inhale the, those that they have just exhaled. So it was really busy. I think we worked so hard through COVID to try and get the products out to market so that they could be useful. The, the technology is being used over in the US in operating theatres. It's used to sanitise um, water in agricultural environments. So we knew the technology worked. There's a ton of science um, behind it. Um, but obviously the need at the time was so great that we were working pretty much around the clock to try and get um, products to market and try and um, the... The issue isn't necessarily in the product development, it's in the the um, the general public understanding what that technology does and how it works. It's an education piece. When you introduce a new technology to market, you have to help people understand how it works. It's not simply, you know, developing another watch, but everybody understands how they how they work and they might have some additional features. This is something um into the UK and lots of people don't know about it or understand it so that's the big the biggest element is in that education piece around the technology itself so i guess it goes a long way right because they say um sometimes when you have a product that's especially if it's a new product uh, you have to sort of like yeah. teach the market about it because the market won't know about it by themselves so it's like it's something you have to sort of like lay the foundation for, yeah. for them in that particular way and uh, and I mean and that's really good because obviously you know with with these applications in sort of like surface and air treatment, including water disinfection, um, which is really crucial. Um, like, if you found it easier in terms of the outreach, do you are you guys, or are you guys predominantly in Europe and um, the US, or are you also starting to reach out to new countries now? So for more medtech, we're primarily UK based. Um, we just came back from the first um, international conference around FIUBC and uh, we've made some collaborations with partners in the US and further afield um, where we have complementary product groups that can come together to give a better holistic 
over um, result of the technologies. So um, our most recent uh, work was around some grant funding that we received um, from UKRI and we ran a trial of our product in a Starbucks in Leeds. So um, that was very exciting nice. to see see the results that came from that. Well, yeah, um, it sounds good. And, you know, the fact that, you know, you have uh, sort of like a network already going. So that's really good. And um, yeah, as I, and as I promised uh, that this episode is not going to be about mostly the technology you have, because I'm, I think it's really life changing and it's really good. I, I, I just want to, you know, like jump to your, you know, personal like background, mm -hmm. uh, Sam, you know, um, I know you like you, you served in the military. And um, one thing I wanted to touch on, um, as we discussed a little bit earlier, uh, a few uh, a few weeks ago was you know like how did you find that life from you know post military because um I did some research mm -hmm. since 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 our last conversation and uh, like the 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 MOD which mm -hmm. is uh, the Ministry of Defense for those who are not in the UK listening to this um has like a website and a, and a page mm -hmm. with like about eighteen different you know powerpoints and you know pdfs there explaining to people uh like what life is after the, after the military I, I mean could you could you quickly give us a, a background of like your your how, how your life changed you know after you left mm. yeah well i left um i left the royal air force just after i graduated um from university and I moved into um, a graduate engineer's role, even though I've been working in engineering for eight years, maybe more um, at that point, but into a very different type of role. And I suppose moving from a military environment to a civilian environment, it was very, it was very, it was very different in terms that in the military, if somebody asks you to do it and you have the capacity to do it, then the answer is always yes, because we're there to keep aircraft flying, to keep missions going. And so everybody is on board with that mentality. Okay, we need to just get this aircraft airborne. How are we going to do it? I think the biggest difference for me moving to a civilian environment was that people had the right to choose whether they wanted to work late, um, to finish the project. And I in my mind, I still had that that mentality that was like, well, yeah, I don't have any plans tonight. I'm going to work late. I'm just going to get it finished. Whereas other people would kind of work on the premise that, well, it's five o'clock, I'm off, you know, I'm done. <laughs> um, so that was a bit, yeah, it was a, it was a, bit, a big cultural move for, for me to work in an environment where not everybody thought the same way that I did. Um, but I totally get it. You know, now I've worked in City Street for a long time. Um, that work-life balance is really important. But at that time, it, that was the biggest culture shock for me. Was like not everybody thinking just the way I do. <laughs> well, that's and that's interesting. Um, as I was saying, because uh, one thing that I picked up when I was doing the uh, this research notes that I just jotted down here was, you know, moving from 
essentially what you said, the mm. being on duty 24-7 to a more relaxed life of a nine-to-five and you got weekends off and, you know, you didn't have to follow every uh, order, anything people say to you. you. Sometimes people can choose to follow it or not. You know, everything is kind of casual. But as I was reading, it also I also ended up finding out that, you know, that sometimes people... Uh, like old veterans sort of like mm. experience some sort of like a loss of, you know, purpose or like, you know, loss of identity or status. Um, and, you know, this then leads to, you know, some, men some mental health uh, issues because they just don't feel um, as, as important anymore. Um, like, did you, did you, did you experience any, any of these uh, things or what was it like for you besides, you know, the, the time and, you know, the working hours you mentioned? I don't, I mean, I was very lucky in that I, I haven't experienced that, but I do know quite a few of my friends, ex-colleagues um, that I did serve with that have had issues. And I think, again, you, you go from being this very tight-knit community that is all focused on the same goal to one where you, you're just not. And that you can feel a little bit like you're in free fall because all those teammates and colleagues that you were working with that always had your back, that would always be checking in on you, are now going home to their own homes and their own families at the end of the night and not you know, checking in on you. So I can totally understand and, and see how that happens. Um, I'm lucky that I'm from a really big family. And so my family were always there to support me through that transition, but it's not, um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's not really good, of course. And uh, as, I, as I mentioned to you um, as well, when we spoke uh, earlier was, um for me, I was really keen to talk about this because my own mom, my mom served for 10 years and she was uh, an electrical engineer in the military. Um, so she was just similar to you, basically, but mostly for the army and yeah. not the Air Force. And uh, one thing she mentioned when I was, was I also asked a few questions uh, in preparation for this episode was, you know, like uh, some challenges she faced. And she, she mentioned that she... She she felt like there was a bit of stigma, mm. you know, around former veterans mm -hmm. because people have this sort of like fear factor. They're like, you know, you were in the army, so people are kind of scared of you a little bit. Um, so it's like um, uh, every time when she went, because fortunately after that, they also um, started their own company, which they started running and, you know, um, but um, it's so, even at work, she was... She was worried about, you know, like shouting to people or even in, at family events, shouting to people because people always had this fear that, you know, you were, you were a soldier. So it's mm. like, you know, you are a strict person, you're regimented. Do you, did you experience any of that sort of like stigma or anything like that? Um, a little bit. I remember um, going to an interview once and the, um, the person asked me, how I would cope having to make decisions on my own. And I I was a bit confused and said, I, I'm not sure. They said, well, you know, you've been in the military for eight and a half years. You're not going to have people telling you what to do. 
in this job. You're going to have to make decisions on your own. And I was like, well, when we have an aircraft down and it needs fixing to get it airborne, to get the missions complete, I make decisions on my own all day and all night. And his, it was his um, lack of knowledge that he thought that all the people in the military somehow get instructed to do every little thing throughout the day and that they can't think for themselves. They're, they're constantly following instructions when actually the reverse is true. You know, we, we have to make decisions to, to be able to move things forward all day, every day. Um, and, yeah, there is on the job because you've been trained professionally and therefore you should be able to make good decisions. It makes sense. So just writing down something you mentioned there regarding the training, because I think there's a common misconception that people have that, you know, people who go into the military are poorly educated, but uh, that's not the case. There's actually a lot of training programs in the military. There's a lot of, uh, um, you know, um, like sponsorships, people get to do degrees and stuff. So most of the guys in the military are very uh, skilled people. So sometimes it creates a little bit of igno ignorance uh, around that. And, uh, uh, and people sometimes fail to, to understand that. But I don't, like, can you tell us about the training you like that training structures that were there uh, just for people to also hear this from someone, you know, who has been there? Yeah. Well, I joined the Air Force with a, a, a BTEC ONC, so A-level equivalent in engineering. The military, the Air Force, was allowed to sign off on any of my own work. And then once I'd completed all of that training and went operational, um, I then had the option to do further study, and I chose to study my degree part-time um, so I would I would be released from duty one day a week to attend university. And I would study all my lectures in one day. So I have 12 hours, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., one day a week. So I'd cover all the lectures that somebody full-time would do over the space of a week. I'd do them in one day. And then I would do all the work associated with that well. over the rest <laughs> of the week. So the, the, the forces in general, they were all about um, – training their their engineers and their staff to be the best that they can be and if you have that mindset that you want to continually learn and I've always been hungry for knowledge um, then they will support that a hundred percent yeah absolutely true no that's that's really nice to hear and I think that's even harder than what most people do because I I, owned, I graduated two years ago and I remember when I started university um, not so long ago um, is that the 9 a.m. lectures, people didn't turn up to those because they were just too early, you know? So people will be like, no, nah, I'm not going to come to this one. It's too early. It's 9 a.m. And sometimes you only have like two or three lectures per day. Uh, and uh, and this was on the demanding course, you know, like as engineering. So it's, it's, it's quite impressive to hear that, you know, you still had a job, you know, uh, and uh, you, you were doing what people sort of procrastinated to do over the week in one day and then you still had to study somehow for the exams because you still had to write the same exams as everybody so i mean that also can kind of builds character i guess would you say like uh looking at your time in the military because even one thing i've also noticed in our conversations and everything we do like you're always timely 
Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this about yourself, but you, you're one of the, and I've spoken to quite a number of people on the podcast, but you always, uh, uh, timely. Like I'm always, I'm even afraid to be late by like, you know, like 30 seconds. I'll be looking at my watch to see, uh, if, if, if I'm running late because I know you're going to be there. So is that part of the experience and character building that you got from the military? Would you say that is kind of stuck with you even after you left? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I think before I joined the military, I was 17. You know, I was really young. Um, I was the youngest possible age a, a woman, a female, could join the military, 17 years and three months. And um, I could, at that point in my life, I could have gone either way. I was a bit wild. And the, the Air Force really kind of straightened me out. It gave me a structure. It gave me a sense of deep belonging um real loyalty to um my flight and yeah that that sense of loyalty that sense of team has never left me and that's why i would be mortified if i their time i have to have as much respect for their time as for mine so i would never intentionally leave people meeting i know everybody's busy everyone's time poor and that and that for me is one of my the things that I stand by, it's not to say that the members of my team do the same because they're a lot more relaxed about it and I've had to learn to be more relaxed about it, but I personally would not be late for a meeting. And I, even if it was going to be five minutes late, I would message you to say, I'm on my way, I'm so sorry, I'm stuck in traffic, whatever. <laughs> uh, makes sense. And that's that's really, you know, something that's um, essentially also kind of like, uh, I would sort of, I would say kind of missing. Um, in like in, in my generation or generation younger than me is that mm -hmm. people sometimes we have become quite soft so it's like uh, really easy to offend uh someone like in in my generation that's what i hear a lot from people um and you know things a lot of things are relaxed now and everything like that and i think it's also partially due to the fact that this has been one of the few um, generations were well, until recently with the other military tensions rising. We're one of the few generations to have sort of like um, been born mm -hmm. and it was sort of lived in a time where there's not really much um, global tensions <laughs> besides what's happening now. So I guess that adds to, you know, people being lazy and procrastinating. But uh, 